My name is Megan O'Sullivan, and I'm the host of the Elm City Podcast, sponsored by City Atlas New Haven. The Elm City Podcast explores the projects that New Havenites are engaging in around the city, covering both the challenges and successes of the work they're doing. So I'm really thrilled to have you here today and Melissa Spear from Common Ground. Mm -hmm. Um, Melissa is the Executive Director of Common Ground and do you want to start off with explaining what Common Ground does? I know there's several different different parts of it so I'm sure you have your elevator speech all (laughs) lined up, ready to go. Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning and um, how the elevator speech begins to sound stale after a while. But but Common Ground, it's a complicated organization to explain sometimes because it is sort of an integrated program of three initiatives. One is um, a charter high school, which is environmentally themed, that um, educates uh, 185 students, um, at least this year, that's how many we have and that K through 12, so we have students who are there for four years, about 70% of them come from New Haven, 70, 75%, and 25 to 30% come from surrounding towns, which are uh, generally within the, the New Haven, the county of New Haven, and from as far away as Waterbury, Bridgeport, Bethany, um, a lot from Hamden, North Haven, West Haven. So it really is a mix of students from the city and students from surrounding suburbs and it is environmentally themed so our our mission really is around cultivating habits of healthy living and sustainable environmental practice so uh, and and that that is very broadly interpreted so healthy living includes not just your own personal health but the health of communities um, the health of your family and um, sustainable environmental practice also includes community. We want to we want to participate in in creating um, and supporting communities that are sustainable. Um, so it's not just about the natural environment, but it's mm-hmm. also about the human environment. And um, we run a a big uh, community programs uh, initiative, which provides all kinds of um, opportunities for families and children to get outdoors and experience nature and also to learn about gardening, about healthy cooking and eating, um, to get physical exercise. We're located at the base of West Rock Ridge State Park, which is the largest uh, urban state park in Connecticut, and we are surrounded on three sides by that park. We have a 20-acre site, so that park is like our playground, our backyard. We lead guided hikes into the playground. We have overnight camping on our site um, and then people will camp overnight and then experience being in the in the woods at night in the city of New Haven. Um, We run a lot of children's programs, after-school programs, a very large summer camp which is an ecology camp, a vacation camp, and and this serves kids K through 8, so younger students. And all those programs, then we have like music that we have on site and different kinds of festivals and fairs. And our community programs bring about 15,000 to 20,000 people to our site every year. We also partner with New Haven Public Schools in a field trip program. So we bring New Haven Public School kids to, to our site. Teachers will bring them to our site for 90-minute um, programs, which are forest or farm-based programs. 
uh, which are tied into the curricular standards that New Haven follows. So they are lesson plans that teachers can use to extend the classroom learning that's going on at that particular point in time. And those, that's also for grades K through eight, although we have high schools, some high schools also bring kids to our site on field trips. And then we have, we have an urban farm where we actually grow food. We produce, I don't know, probably 10,000 pounds of fresh vegetables each year. And these are, we distribute these in a wide variety of ways. We participate a lot in work around local food systems and creating a just and sustainable food system. So we provide a lot of produce to the mobile market. And then we run an on-site farmer's market. We run a CSA for the um, parents of our students. Um, we put a lot of food into our school lunch program at the cafeteria, um, and we try to use it, all, all of these resources are really, it's all about education, learning, and growing. So we use our farm as an educational resource to teach people how to grow their own food, what healthy food is, where food comes from, and then to provide them with a source of, of healthy food in, in the neighborhoods we serve. So I think of us, you know, we um, are a community resource. We're on New Haven Parkland, so we really consider ourselves, you know, this is a, this is a public-private partnership that we have with the city to provide all of these opportunities to, to residents of New Haven and surrounding communities as a public-private partnership. We see ourselves as a community resource, which is, which is really a public entity, um, really trying to help communities become more resilient, sustainable, um, and connect with nature, which we think is really important. I'm curious, how long have you been at Common Ground? Um, I'm in my seventh year at Common Ground. So. And may I ask what you were up to before, mm -hmm. before you arrived? Um, so before coming to Common Ground, I worked for a land conservation organization called the Trust for Public Land. I was their state director, so was involved in um, purchasing land for, for conservation, which is what the Trust for Public Land does. And then, you know, prior to that, I've been sort of in the environmental arena forever. Prior to that, I worked for an environmental en engineering firm, and uh, my clients were corporations who were trying to improve their environmental performance. Mm -hmm. and, and at that time, sustainability, you know, the concept of sustainability, corporations were really struggling with it. Like, should we do this? Is this a good thing? Is it, you know, is it? And so I was helping corporations to think about what sustainability meant to them and what the value of it was and, and how they should address issues of sustainability within the, the corporate structure. Working for the for-profit world, um, especially when venture capitalists got involved became, it, it was not, it was no longer fun. And so that was where I said, okay, let's transition over to the nonprofit world and, and, you know, do some, spend some time there. I know that Common Ground has grown a lot in the past five years mm -hmm. under your leadership. Mm -hmm. I was reading about the large numbers of students, the mm -hmm. really excellent graduation rates, were these objectives that you came in with, or mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about what you've done at Common Ground that has maybe fostered this growth, or was mm -hmm. more some of it unexpected and mm -hmm. just sort of, you know, came because the organization had this, you know, this great community relationship? Well, there were changes that had, it, it was a big change just to bring in 
a new executive director, and um, the person who was held my position before me, Oliver Barton, the interesting thing is that he and I went to the School of Forestry together. We graduated the same year from the School of Forestry at Yale, and he was an educator. So he went to Common Ground, and, and they, when they started Common Ground High School, which was the first year that charter legislation was passed, they, it was received its charter in 1997. And but he so he was there from the beginning of the charter high school until until whenever it was 2009 I guess that I came to common ground. But he held two positions at the same time. He was the director of the school and he was the executive director of the of the entire organization. Wow. So basically serving so, as a serving as a principal yes, in a way and yes. also the manager of a nonprofit organization. Exactly. That's... It was doing all this other stuff, and the school the school. Academically, at, at I, I think it was probably around 2007, 2006, 2007, it was struggling academically. And so he really fo had to focus on turning the school around. And he and the current principal, Liz Cox, along with all of the staff at the school, put a huge amount of effort into really sort of transforming the culture within the school, putting in place new systems. And so by the time I came to Common Ground, the school was like it's on an upward trajectory. But all of the other programs had been, because there was so much focus on making sure the school succeeded, the other programs were feeling maybe like they were the stepsisters of the organization. So what the board decided to do was Liz Cox became the director of the school, and they hired an executive director. So it added a certain capacity to what was going on there. Um, and then the other decision they made at that time was to bring um, Joel Tolman into a full-time position as director of development. So when I came in, I think it—you know—it was really not just me. It's that that the board set up a staff structure which made which which enabled the organization to to grow and to succeed. So it really was not, you know, there were things happening and I was just able to like join in and supplement things and I really see it as a team effort. Well, that was a very modest answer, but um, <laughs> still, even so, congratulations to you Thank and you. to the rest of your team for the great work that you're doing. I have a, a question about charter schools in general. Mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. that the word charter school is a big buzzword. Everyone mm -hmm. is talking about charter yeah. school this, charter school that. And it's one of those things where if you decide to read a certain argument, you can get a certain idea. And if mm -hmm. you decide to read another one, you can get another sort of idea. But for those who aren't familiar, charter schools are like public schools in that public school students can attend them for free, mm -hmm. but they're privately owned mm -hmm. or run, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what your perspective is as someone who oversees this charter school. Mm -hmm. Where do you find yourselves in this major debate happening in, in mm -hmm. education policy? Um, and, and has your opinion of charter schools changed since joining Common Ground? Mm -hmm. How would you kind of talk about this issue? Mm -hmm. I didn't when I joined Common Ground I really didn't know much about charter schools. It's been an interesting education that I've I have gone through um, in this process. And you know, the unfortunate thing is in the in the conversation about charter schools, there's there's a huge amount of emotion and there's a lot of misinformation um that, that that's out there about charter schools and and um you know there's always two sides to every story. But what you know, one thing I want to make clear that is that 
our school as a public school has to comply with all of the same regulations and standards that any other public school, local district school has to comply with. And, and that's true um, for all charters? It's true for all charters. Um, and we're, we're really sticklers about that. And, and there's a lot of, you know, one of the interesting things for me coming into this environment is I've never worked in such a highly regulated environment before. And it is unbelievable the amount of time and energy we have to spend complying with state regulations. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of this, you know, the, 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 the debate about charter schools was really elevated here in Connecticut with the what happened with, in Hartford with the Jamoki schools. And well, there, there was um, the leader of the organization which oversaw one of the schools, the charter schools in Hartford called Jamoki Schools. It came out that um, he had said that he had a PhD. He didn't have a PhD. He had been convicted of embezzlement in California at one point. Um, and when all this came, and, and there were certain things going on at Jamoki which were not necessarily, I mean, was, was not good business practice and, and in fact, you know, could be, could be construed as fraud, although there was never any, no one was ever convicted or there was no criminal suit filed, but it did not, it was, it was not a good thing in, in terms of running a public institution. And so this sort of, this incident sort of really, um, spread to impact all charter schools. The State Department of Education decided that they needed to, um, and, and the legislation in Connecticut, to pass some legislation that ensured that there was very strict oversight of charter schools. And the interesting thing is that there already was. Um, the, it didn't really change much in terms of the way charter schools are run, but um, for some reason, actually putting it in a piece of legislation, I think it made people feel better. And, and the State Department of Education did become, you know, they started being a little more rigorous in terms of not just telling you what you need to do, but, but verifying that you're actually doing some of those things. Um, and from our perspective, that's all good. I mean, every, any institution, any school can, can have people in it who are, who are doing things that they shouldn't be doing whether you're a local public school, district school, or a charter school. And so that, that oversight is important. Um, but, but overall, I mean, the interesting thing about charter schools, a lot of the debate, um, for us, every charter school is, is different. And that's one of the interesting things about charter school. I mean, we are very a very different kind of school. If you came to the school, you would see that we, we, are, we don't look like your typical public school. And so students, you know, I, I think that we need to, in general, public schools need to offer different kinds of educational experiences because every student is different. Students learn differently. Um, some students do great sitting in a classroom learning. Other students really need to have um, hands-on experiences that, that help them to understand the academic concepts that they're learning. Some students, you know, there are many, many different ways to learn, and so I think that that allowing schools to differentiate in that way really will serve students, all students, so that you don't have as many students who maybe fall behind because the learning environment is not something that's conducive to their style of learning. And I think that's one of the reasons that we've had success. I mean, the other, and, and you know, I have to mention the other big controversy with charter schools is the idea that the charter schools cherry pick. And you know that we can that we can decide what students go to charter schools, and we we have a lottery system, and 
we, the students just, New Haven just sends us the students. I mean, the, we, they are students who choose to come to Common Ground because you, in the choice system, just like with magnet schools, you put your first three choices and then, and then the district sort of sends you, like you got into this school. And charter school operates op within the New Haven district almost in the same way a magnet school does. So we, we actually um, reserve a minimum of 70% of our seats for New Haven students okay. and then 30% for students from other districts assuming that many apply. Mm -hmm. So we only have 185 seats, so it's first come, first serve. Um, and then once once our seats are filled, then students have to go on a waiting list because we only have a certain capacity. But And are they filled through the lottery with everybody? Yeah, okay. so, so yeah, every, it's, it's always, always, every seat is filled through a lottery system. If you could build a second or third common ground mm -hmm. to satisfy the need of mm -hmm. all the students who wanted to come, how big would those schools need to be? How many students want to come to Common Ground but aren't able to? We Well, we would have to build, so we're actually going to be going up to 225 students um, with the construction of, the, of a new building that's being constructed on our site. And so if we, if we had another one of those schools, I think we would be able to fulfill the need. Mm -hmm. So we're talking, you know, between 300 and 500 students. Total. Yeah, total. And, and you know, we talked a lot about what size we want to be. 225 is as big as we're going to get. And when I first came to Common Ground, we had a hundred and, like, 40 students, I think. And so now we're up, we've, we've increased by 45. And it's, you know, it's been, that's a change, you know, sort of going from really, really small, and we're still really, really small, but we're, you know, 50% bigger than we were, and we're going to increase by another 40 students, you know, by another 25% or whatever it is. And it's still really, really small. And we've thought a lot about what is the scale, because I do think one of the unique things is being able to be small. I feel very fortunate that we, we can be as small as we are, because that that has a huge impact on the learning environment and the sense of community that you can build, the intimacy, uh, which I think students who are there greatly appreciate. And when students choose Common Ground, because as I said, in the choice system, if a New Haven family decides that they want their kid to attend a magnet school or a charter school, and they decide which school they would prefer their students, they may select a school that specializes in art or in science, and they, I think, often select Common Ground because we are small. We provide very intense wraparound services for the students who come to us, um, close relationships with teachers and staff, and the environmental theme and the fact that they're on a campus, and which is they get to spend time outdoors and learning about um, the various things that happen on that campus lots of opportunities there. So we are selected for very particular reasons. And that is one of the advantages, I would say, of a charter school, that maybe public schools don't have as much of an, an advantage, local district schools. Although you, I see now that, you know, even district schools are really, you know, they have their own culture and they're, they, they are working very hard to create their own identity that, um, that makes them attractive to the community. And I, you know, that's a, I think it's a really positive uh, approach. And the interesting thing about school culture, too, is that often it is, you know, if a principal changes, and that's one of the hard things, is that, you know, how, what, you know, how do you create and sustain a culture? And often the culture is really pinned to a strong visionary 
principal in the school, and then if that person leaves, do you start from scratch? So it's interesting to think about how do you create a culture which isn't dependent upon a, a personality or a or one or two people so that it can be sustained even through transitions and staffing. And I don't know the answer to that question. That's true. These are all really important <laughs> questions. Well, I want to switch gears um, really quickly and just ask you a little bit about New Haven in general. Mm -hmm. Part of what this podcast is trying to get at is what makes New Haven a special city? Where is New Haven excelling? And in what areas does this community see the need for improvement? Um, so do you live here in New Haven or you live outside the city? I live in Bethany, okay. which is just about 20 minutes north of New Haven. Um, I've, ever since I've lived in Bethany though I mean I've worked in New Haven for the for 20 years so I've always um, and you went spent to school every here. day and I and I went to school here so I've spent every day in New Haven for the past 20 years you know eight hours a day basically it's except for on weekends although there's so much going on here in New Haven all the time um but I'll tell you know when I first moved to Bethany in 1989 um I remember, you know, meeting our neighbors for the first time in Bethany and, you know, talking about going into New Haven and people, you know, we received very, some very strange responses from people like, wow, you know, be careful. Really? You're going to go to New Haven? Oh, we don't go to New Haven, which was really odd for us because our, that was not, it was not our experience of New Haven. And it's been interesting that over the past 25 years, it's the reputation of New Haven is just completely, completely changed. I mean, it's really transformed to what now I, you know, no matter where I go, when I talk to people about New Haven, there are very positive responses. I think New Haven's image right now um, people understand that it's really a vibrant, culturally relevant, um, uh, creative, innovative place to be and with a lot going on, both in terms of um, food, art. So it's, it's been interesting to see over the past 25 years and to be part of the, the transformation of the city. And I'm wondering if you... This might be a t tough question, mm -hmm. but do you have any theories about why this transformation has come about or, mm -hmm. or how? I've asked a lot of people about trends that they've seen in the city. So mm -hmm. you've addressed the trends part. You have mm -hmm. noticed some increase in cultural capital, maybe mm -hmm. we can put it that mm -hmm. way. Um, and where do you think that's coming from? Is it coming from the university? Is it coming from NGOs? Is it coming from... Uh, at the state level? Is it coming from just a different population living here? Do you have any? You know, so one thing that I'll say about New Haven is, is I'm always astonished at sort of the history that we have here. So I, I think that New Haven has a very solid foundation in terms of you know, it's always been a city where there's been innovation going on. And it's always been a place where that people have been invested here in this city. So it, it's not surprising to me that it's it's gone through another renaissance, you know, and there's always ebb and flow within cities. 
you know, the nonprofit community in New Haven is, is amazing. In fact, you know, I'm always hearing, because I work with people from Hartford, I, I work from, with people from all over the state. You know, people are always like, oh my God, you guys already have everything. You're already doing everything in New Haven. You know, it's like there's so many nonprofits that are, that are working here, sometimes too many. I remember, you know, there, were, there was a, an effort at one time that, to start a conversation about nonprofits merging because there, there are too many. But my sense is that having a lot of the nonprofits that start here just bubble up from out of the community. And, you know, that's what happens with innovation is you have people that have ideas. And, you know, not every nonprofit is going to survive, but it's, it, I think it's good to have that, that's, that, um, sort of constant bubbling up of, of, of nonprofits. And then the other thing that I find, at least in the, in the areas where Common Ground works, there's a, there's a great, um, we've always really been focused on collaboration and partnership. And we have found many, many nonprofits who are happy to partner. And it's sort of like why, you know, nobody wants to reinvent the wheel. So let's just figure out how we can leverage our strengths together to provide something that maybe it seems like the community wants or or needs and um and there's been there's been a lot of effort to to support that and i think that i'm um, actually right i think mayor harp is doing an amazing job of trying to bring to to continue to support and facilitate those the conversations across communities about how we're how are we going to make new haven an even better place than it already is so I think it's a combination of the administration, the really strong nonprofit community. I think there are a couple, you know, the, the universities are obviously important. The, the fact that um, you have Yale here and the University of New Haven and Southern Connecticut State University, and they all bring in different strengths into the community and attract um, people from outside um, who come here to live and to work. And then um, you have, you know, there are a couple, I mean, I'm going to mention um, we have a very strong community foundation. I think they do really good work. The Graustein Foundation, one of the areas that, that we've really tried to do a lot of work is in community engagement and in particular race relations. I think that here in New Haven, as in many cities, that is an, that's, a, that's an area where there are a lot of challenges. And, uh, you know, we see ourselves as a community resource, and, we're, and, and we include all communities in that. We have a very diverse student body, so we have to think really, really carefully and hard about the cultural relevance of what we're doing. We look at everything through a lens of social justice. This year, in particular, with Ferguson and all that's happened, that's had a huge impact on the way that we're approaching the world. So those conversations, I think, are really important, like figuring out how to have those conversations productively, figuring out what we need to do in order to change our criminal justice system so that it's fair and equitable, um, figuring out how to create a just society that, that doesn't privilege certain people. And so it's, you know, to have people who are really actively working in those areas um, I, just makes New Haven an amazing place to be, actually. And then you have to mention the arts, too. I mean, there's just so much going on. There's so much work going on around the arts here as well. So it's like just, just this big mishmash that, that's like, you know, has its challenges. But I see people really motivated to make New Haven a great place.
Thank you so much, Melissa, for Thank speaking you. with me today. Yeah. It was an absolute pleasure to hear about your work and to meet you. The music for the Elm City podcast was created by Kevin McLeod. His work can be found at incompetech.com. That's I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H dot com. The Elm City Podcast was produced by me, Megan O'Sullivan, and is sponsored by City Atlas New Haven. For more information, please visit our website, www.newhaven.thecityatlas.org, or visit our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash Elm City Podcast. Thanks for listening.